Hello, everyone. This is The Truth of the Matter Is. I'm your host, Daniel, and I'm here with Jonathan. We are back for episode number 71. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we want to let you know that we appreciate you for listening in today. Now, before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who decided to tune in today. Now, of course, this could be episode one in your book or episode 71 as a day one listener. We would like to say either way, thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Yeah, so before we get started with prayer and our dialogue for today, which is going to be, in my opinion, an interesting one. I just wanted to ask you, Daniel, how are you doing? How's everything this week? been doing pretty well i can't complain about anything the teams are doing well it's competitive season for a lot of different sports and just in general in life you know we're pressing forward working hard getting things accomplished so can't really complain what about you i'm doing well and i would also tend to you know agree right it's been pretty good to be a winner the last two weeks so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i'm used to pedestrian play by my team i'm a new york jets fan for those who are wondering i rep my team i feel eventually we will be good and so far this season we've been okay so and of course daniel's a giant fan i gotta put that out there so we are both happy today and we were happy last week wait wait you guys won last week right no that was the week we lost to the cowboys oh okay Right, America's team. Let's not make this a. So they say. Let's not make this a sport, a sport broadcaster. Even though we can go on for days about that. Um, Yeah, but we gotta let people know that we're human and we engage in sports and TV and whatnot. So. Agreed. Agreed. Our perspective. All right, so we have a lot to get into today. So, as usual, we are going to start off with prayer. So. We have people that are listening. You can join in. Oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we honor you. We thank you. We bless you. And we love you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. As we go to your word today, we ask if you could open all eyes to see, all ears to hear, all hearts to receive, and all minds to understand you better. Your word is your testimony. Let me repeat that. Your word is your testimony, which is the greatest testimony there is because it's a testimony of you, God. And therefore, we ought to study it, learn from it, but most importantly, apply it so we can strive to be blameless in your eyes, Lord. We thank you for this this opportunity and this platform to speak truth and life into others, whether that be in the single digits or many more, it doesn't matter. We take nothing for granted and appreciate all the ears that decide to tune in. We pray that those who are listening can learn something. We say these things, of course, in Jesus' name and all in agreement say, Amen. Amen. So for starters, I want to explain something. When you read God's word, there are multiple ways you can view the scripture. The truth of the matter is podcast is always been about unpacking and providing more than one perspective and the reason for that is because perspective comes with nuance 
And with that, you can open a door for clarification and create an opportunity for people to comprehend you better. In the past on this podcast, of course, we have looked at the scripture through several different lenses, such as a biblical lens, a historical lens, a philosophical lens, a psychological, sociological, and of course, a political lens. The reason for these approaches have everything to do with making sense of things that happen personally with us. And it comes from that standpoint. To be frank, we generally ask ourselves in life, how are we going to deal with a situation that comes up? Or how is this person communicating with me? And usually we are saying, what are the proper responses? What lens should I be seeing this issue through? I know that I have mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again, right? Should I be empathetic or sympathetic to this person's history, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm sure that many of you are saying at this very moment, there is no way that anyone thinks that much in depth about every response they provide. And it's not that serious. And I would say that this process happens naturally for the majority of us. We are naturally already programmed to do these things, either with consideration or out of selfish conceit. It all depends on what is important to us at the moment. And when things come up, what is the frame of mind we are in at the moment? I would also say this, right? If you don't believe you actually can or do think like this, well, then you are just underestimating your own capabilities. If you really think about it, your brain is just like a computer. It stores up information, right? Scientists say that our brain can hold 2.5 million gigabytes of information in it. 74 gigabytes of information a day, right? 74 gigabytes of information a day is what is said that our brain has the capabilities of doing. Now, that amounts to as much as watching 16 movies. Now, that's a bit of a exaggeration because there is no way you can watch 16 movies in a day because when you think about it, right, the average length of a movie is anywhere between 96 minutes to 120 minutes long. And if you times that by 16, you're looking out at most 1,920 minutes. Now, we only have 1,440 minutes in a day. Plus, if we are being realistic, the goal should be to evenly distribute our time to other things throughout the day, right? So that doesn't necessarily match up. There are other sources of entertainment as well that we are busy with, right? Computers, cell phones, tablets, cars, video games, right? However, the point is this. To know that your mind is capable of processing that much information should let you know that there are a lot of things happening naturally with your brain. And you might or could be taking it for granted. Now, today's agenda is interesting, right? We're going to look at the scripture through a political and historical lens. We are at the point in the Gospel of Luke where the scripture is centered around a crucifixion. For the most part, the text can be uncomfortable and sometimes ignored in the eyes for many who really don't care about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for all of humanity, right? Some question, was it really a sacrifice at all? Actually, right? Because they don't understand that Jesus is God. That's what we believe, right? 
Those are the speculations that come about when we talk about our Lord and Savior. Now, we have discussed the Bible from a political lens on episode two, and that was titled King Jesus Wants to Be in Relationship with You. So soon, so early, but we didn't go in depth with it at the time. And we've also discussed it early again, episode 13, God Can Relate. So if you want to see what a political perspective is, you can check those out. You're welcome to, right? As for today, we're going to see how politics play a role leading up to the crucifixion and what's going on in this crucifixion narrative, okay? And of course, Daniel, at any moment in time, if you hear something, you're interested in it, or you want to make a comment, or you want to push back, you're more than welcome to, okay? Now, we will be beginning with a passage we have mentioned at least twice in the last month, and that is Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. We're going to look at this in the Message Bible, a very important verse to start off with today. So, Daya, take it away. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, also called Passover, drew near. The high priests and religious scholars were looking for a way to do away with Jesus. But, fearful of the people, they were also looking for a way to cover their tracks. So when we look at this passage carefully in the Message Bible, you see an agenda between two groups, the high priests and the religious scholars. Another thing that is prevalent from a historical perspective is during this time, there was no secularism. Now, secularism means there was no separation of religion and politics. In fact, the Jewish religion is foundationally political for those who don't know that. The big caveat in all of this, however, was the role that the Roman government played. You see, the Romans allowed the Jews to practice their religious beliefs. Let's also highlight their governmental structure remained intact also. It was in episode 62, Ignorance is Unacceptable, that we spoke about the history of the Sadducees. For the purpose of this discussion, here is some history as it pertains to the Sanhedrin. Now, Sanhedrin comes from the Greek word sundrum which means sitting together, also means council, right? The Sanhedrin is both a Jewish judicial and administrative body, right? The Sanhedrin was composed of local elites that includes members of the high priests, the family, scribes, religious experts, and of course we can't leave out the elders. The reason why the Jewish political and religious systems, you know, they actually remained is because it operated under some Roman oversight. So with respect to the taxes that the Jews paid along with the law enforcement and other and other, you know, administrative functions, they awarded them to have these things. So again, as long as the Jews capitulated by paying the taxes, they were left alone with certain religious freedoms and practices. Now, why is this so important, right? Well, as Daniel read in Luke 22 1 the Passover was approaching and as for the integrity of the high priests and religious scholars they were under fire right Jesus already had exposed them for the hypocrisy numerous times throughout the scripture up until this point in Luke if you've been following along and as a result well they wanted Jesus gone because of the trouble he was causing now, from a historical perspective, I don't think it's wrong to see Jesus as a revolutionary. Why do I say that? Well, he was causing a shift and a change in the community. 
He wasn't taught, and yet his words were profound. It carried weight and had an impact on all those who listened and learned. Right? Jesus' ministry only lasted three and a half years, but it was powerful. Now, Jesus boldly spoke about the kingdom of God. For those who want to know about the kingdom of God, you can check out episode 37. Right? The kingdom of God, by the way, is also known as the kingdom of heaven and the government of God, which is the power, rule, and authority of God. So in terms of timing, Jesus Christ respectfully came on the scene, moving in authority. Right. Jesus in action provided that example of how to live and move and the knowledge of who you are as a child of God. To be frank, Jesus showed up at the right time, causing an issue when it comes to the power dynamic of the times. Now, before we think about the power of the people and its power in politics from a historical standpoint, let's finish verse two in Luke 22. Daniel, fearful of the people, they were also looking for a way to cover their tracks. So from a biblical perspective, there were several times that the high priests and the religious scholars were afraid of the people. As a quick reminder, let's go to Luke 20 and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 in the English Standard Version. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority and he answered them i also will ask you a question now tell me was the baptism of john from heaven or from man and they discussed it with one another and saying if we say from heaven he will say why did you not believe him but if we say from man all the people will stone us to death for they are convinced that john was a prophet So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, let's also look at the gospel of Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 20, also in the English Standard Version. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at the very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. So as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So as you can see, they feared the people. And as a result, they couldn't move the way they wanted to. Right. Jesus also, knowing all that was going to happen, knew his time had not yet come. And he speaks of that often in the Gospel of John. So since Luke 20, right, we see that the high priests and the religious scholars have been plotting on Jesus so that they could ultimately deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Now, before we can begin to address that in a much more deeper way, I would be remiss not to address the power of the people from a historical perspective, right? So there are are moments in history that people have had a negative and positive impact on the government. Right. So off the top of my head, I think about Ruby Bridges. Right. I believe it was in the 1960s that because she decided to go to school seeking a higher education, white people were up in arms. Right. And an uproar. White people rioted and protested negatively for the need of segregation and the need for separation. Right. And claimed they were doing it with their kids. You remember that time, Daniel? I do. Okay. The KKK, right, 
organization that lynched black people and burned homes in retaliation because they wanted separation, right? White people in the South at the time were so much for this that the state government got pressured into fulfilling this request of segregational laws, right? And the positive, right? Black people, and I also want to include white people, have engaged in peaceful demonstrations of protesting segregation and discrimination, right? Remember, there were sit-ins. There were many who sat on buses and didn't move. So that happened way before Rosa Parks. She just happened to get the publicity at the time. People deciding to walk to work instead of paying for public transport, you know, public transportation, even catching rides with one another. And this ultimately hurt the state money and funds. Right. Want to talk about impact. Black people and whites marched and practiced nonviolence and responsive laws and also shootings that transpired. Right. Think about what's happened in the last two years, especially during the pandemic. Right. We all witnessed the you know, one of the most broad, sustained ways of protesting in the United States in decades, right? Filling the streets, disturbing traffic. So, you know, the citizens can be hurt, right? Riding bike processes. I saw this happen and I saw how, you know, much it impacted. Now, one of the negative sides to this is that there were also people looting as well, right? People have taken advantage of this and not so long ago, myself and Daniel spoke about the reasons that the pharmacies, right? We spoke about CVS. We spoke about Walgreens, right? The whole point was they were locking their things up because it affected their bottom line, their business, right? So the point that I'm making is this, right? The power of the people cannot be underestimated, right? The strength in numbers can be a serious concern, especially if you're in a minority, and I mention all this because if we go back to the text, right, understand something. If there was going to be a plan to take Jesus down, it wasn't going to be done during the day. Right. Amongst the people. Remember, Jesus not only fed the people literally, his words spoke life into them individually and as a whole. He also was healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. Right. The people were convinced of the truths he spoke. So it's not far fetched that any harm that came to Jesus could have resulted in a high priest and a religious scholar's demise. Right. Now, let's continue in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses three through six. Again, we're going to look at this in the message Bible. Daniel. That's when Satan entered Judas, the one they called Iscariot. He was one of the twelve, leaving the others. He conferred with the high priests and the temple guards about how he might portray Jesus to them. They couldn't believe their good luck and agreed to pay him well. He gave them his word and started looking for a way to portray Jesus, but out of sight of the crowd. So interesting, right? So there was a meeting. Now, Daniel, I know that you're a fan of law and order, right? Special victims, Judah, and criminal intent, right? Actually, it's more law and order and criminal intent. Special victim unit is okay. You thought special victim unit was okay. Okay. So remember. Uh, so stable. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, stable, of course. Stable. Yeah. So remember, when it came to cracking the case, the goal was to get someone to turn on the other. So in order to do that, you will send a DA. And the DA sometimes will offer a lesser charge. 
Now, of course, in response to prevent someone of testifying, there were scare tactics, right? And forced people were getting paid under the table to take out a witness, right? Or burn down a house or a car in order to send a message, right? Sometimes things were done within the law, while other things were done with a whatever it takes motive, right? A lot of the tampering went on, right? But again, the goal on some cases was to create leverage, to create discord in order to play on the emotions of someone who was mentally weak, to get someone to turn on the other, right? Maybe they were missing out on the deal and it was like, hey, you know, your buddy over there in room number two, you know, he just confessed, right? So what they would do is they would do the, they would play these little games in order to get someone to turn over and the manipulation, I guess part of the tackles lying wasn't taken into consideration. You can do that. Right. Again, it was all about the mind games, the manipulation tactics. Right now, that's what we see here in this biblical text. And I'm going to show you how. Right. So there was a conversation behind the scenes and a cooperation and agreement was agreed upon. Right. The text clearly states. Like, right. The religious leaders. And the the what was it? The priests. Right. They clearly state stated that they couldn't believe their good luck, right? Now, we know that the devil had everything to do with it and was covered, and we covered that before, remember? Now, Judas was told to do this. Here's the key thing, out of sight of the crowd. Money was the reward, so Judas wasted no time, obviously, on capitalizing the opportunity. So, again... So, I want to interject here. Yeah, sure. Because this is something that, you know, I I wanted to discuss now we know that judas was an opportunist and he was very good at um identifying opportunities on how to make money for himself even um there was a text that we spoke about in a previous episode where judas was looking at the funds of um i think it was the oil out of the alabaster box that mary was using to clean uh jesus's feet and he was trying to, he, he knew the market value of it. It was so I was thinking, when, you know, when we was going over the text and stuff for this week, I was thinking maybe it wasn't their good luck. It was more of Jesus understanding, uh, Judas understanding how much he could actually profit from portraying Jesus. So I was wondering if that was a thing that you thought might have happened. Like if there was a discussion about it or, you know, he just realized an opportunity. Maybe, you know, he was out with one of the, he was out with the disciples watching Jesus speak or, you know, performing miracles. Saw the way that the, the governors were looking and the high priest was looking at Jesus and thought, you know, I wonder how much I'll get paid for if I get this man up. That, now that's just, that was just a thought. Maybe, you know, we know the devil puts bad thoughts in people's minds. So it was, it was just a thought. What do you think? Well, I don't think your idea is out of the realm of possibility, right? Maybe he mm-hmm. knew the patterns in which, in the way they walked, the location, and he so happened to be there at that time, right? And maybe, like you said, they called it good luck, but maybe it's a possibility that he had a conversation with them and probably hinted at the fact, like, hey, you know, I can kind of tell you where he is. I know you're having trouble. Finding out where he is, I I can I can lead you to him, right? So 
I think that the idea that you're coming up with, especially with money being a reward, yeah, I, it, it could have happened, right? Maybe he did at some point think about what was transpiring between Jesus and the religious leaders and thought maybe, you know what? Maybe I've been thinking small, right? Maybe I've been thinking small. Maybe I need to go big time, right? So, yeah, and I know a lot of people are very uh, specific when it comes to the text and, you know, they like to interpret the word for what it is, but I'm not poking fun in a bad way, just for clarification. Well, the the beautiful thing about the text is you you get to sit back, read a verse, and think about it, and consider the possibility. So, you know, that's something that I've done in philosophy, and philosophy, you know, encourages, right? You read something, you surmise, you think about it, you ponder, and you have a discussion about it, because we're basically discussing the facts. We're just wondering, hey, we know that he's, he's a liar, and we know that he's a thief, right? So there's a possibility that, you know, he probably had that sort of dialogue in his head and he wants to execute it, of course, with the help of the devil, you know, leaning on his desire and his pursuit for money. So, no, I I commend you for considering the passage that we discussed when it came down to the woman using the perfume to wipe Jesus feet and you being able to make the connection that, hey, well, maybe, you know, that text is also in the Gospel of John, which is something we will cover soon enough there's a lot of gems in the gospel of john it's very personal so there is a possibility that we might end up revisiting this again but no i commend you good idea to think about those two things abstractly and potentially connect them no no good idea i encourage you to do that more now let's get into the power structure the politics of it all right so let's go to gospel luke chapter 22 we're going to move forward we're going to look at verses 52 through 53, but we're going to change translations. We're going to look at this in the Amplified. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders of the Sanhedrin, who had come out against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs, as you would against a robber? Day after day, when I was with you in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the power and authority of darkness are yours. So the chief priests and the religious scholars were successful, right, in finding a way to get Jesus at an opportune time. Now, Jesus knew his hour had come. He also knew that this was their chance to bring him in. And as a result, Jesus went willingly because it was the power structure and the authority of darkness that he knew he had to face and deal with. So we're going to continue. Let's go to continue again with Luke 22, but we're going to look at Verses 63 through 65, again in the Amplified. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking and ridiculing him and treating him with contempt and beating him. They blindfolded him and asked, Prophecies, who is it that struck you? And they were saying many other evil and slanderous things against him. Blasphemism speaking sacrilegiously and abusively about him. So there's a lesson we can learn from this passage alone, right? Now hear me carefully because this can be helpful to you in your life as well. So while you're in the enemy's camp, you have to understand, right? They don't play fair. They play dirty. The systems, for the most part, can be dirty. The way of doing things is corrupt. In some countries today, right, governmental systems are rigged. You're guilty. 
before you're ever given a chance to defend yourself. In this case, and in so many others, right, you're already in harm's way. Jesus was already being physically assaulted before trial. And we know that there was no kind of integrity within the justice system, right? Let's call it what it is. As we move on, we're going to go, again, continuing Luke 22, but we're going to look at verses 66 through 71, also in the Amplified Version. Daniel? When the day came, the consuls of the elders of the people, St. Hendrus, Jewish high court, assembled both chief priests and scribes, and they led Jesus away to the council chambers, saying, If you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe what I say. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he replied, It is just as you say. Then they asked, What further need of testimony do we have? For we ourselves have heard it from his own mouth. So one thing to remember about the Gospel of Luke account. Remember, it's an eye testimony account. And as we go through the other Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and John, you will have to hear the different sides again to the same story. Now, if you look closely here, Jesus lays out the perfect explanation of what will be the responses. Right, he does an X, and that just means he responds in this way or this fashion. Now, listen closely to what Jesus says here in his defense while in court, because again, this is the setting, right? Daniel? If I tell you, you will not believe what I say, and if I ask a question, you will not answer. So Jesus, Jesus, of course, was wise beyond what we ever could imagine. So think about this for a second. Hear me out, okay? Usually in a court setting, there are eyewitnesses, right? We know that Jesus tells us what's going to happen to him before he gets arrested. The thing is, it's not in the Gospel of Luke. It's actually in the Gospel of John. And it's very important that we read it. So we're going to go ahead and do this, right? So to help explain some things. So let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 32. And we're going to read this also in the Amplified Version. Daniel? Take careful notice, an hour is coming and has arrived. When you will all be scattered, each to his own home, leaving me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So Jesus, the minute he got arrested, right, knew he was going to be at a disadvantage going to the court. Now, he tells us that he's not alone, that his father is with him. So understand this, right? We all should have the same attitude. The only thing you need to be aware of is that it's not respected nor recognized. In the public sector, neither the place of public opinion. So understand this, Jesus really gave us a nugget there on how we should respond while we are in environments that are wicked and ungodly. Now check this out, check the advice Jesus gives in the next verse. Again, John, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. 
I have told you these things, so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulations and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abides. So get this, right? So before the event even happens, Jesus is already declaring and claiming victory and telling us to put our faith in him. Now, I think that's powerful, right? Before the, things had even played out, Jesus gave us the reader a word that's powerful. Right? He's telling us to put his faith, put our faith in him, right? And he's saying that my conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. And he's telling us to be courageous and confident, right? Now, that's someone I want to put my faith in. Now, understand the mentality that Jesus had, right? You see, Jesus Christ knew that the testimony given by oneself is without merit, which is why Jesus asked the question to his own disciples, right? We're going to go take a trip down memory lane. We'll go all the way back to, again, Gospel Luke, but we're going to look at chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 18 through 22 in the English Standard Version. See what he said at that time. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be right. So let's look at this same text. But in Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13 through 17 in the English Standard Version. Very important verse here, Daniel. And when Jesus came into the district of Sandria, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is and they say some say john the baptist others say elijah others say jeremiah or one of the prophets and he said to them but who do you say that i am and simon peter replied you are the christ the son of the living god and jesus answered them blessed are you simon bar jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven why is this so important that I'm telling you all this? Great job, Daniel, by the way. Well, because throughout the Bible, Christ repeatedly replies to the question, are you the son of man? By having others reply, you say that I am. Now, only a fool gives testimony of themselves. Should Jesus all by himself, right, in the public sector, understand that personal testimony is worthless? Even though... His witnesses are God and the Holy Spirit, which, again, all are three distinct persons. They're all three distinct persons. They are all three distinct persons that make up one. So Jesus wasn't technically alone, but, of course, in the setting of this court system, he was. Now, look at how Jesus continues to respond towards the question they keep asking. Daniel? From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God? Then he replied, It's just as you say. And then they asked, What further need of testimony do we have? 
or we ourselves have heard it from his own mouth. So as you can see, as you can see, he says, just as you say. Just as you say. Now, some may say, based upon the language, he was saying, I am. But I don't think that was the point. I think the point was, is when it comes to testimony and testifying for yourself and you being God, usually you allow other people, right? He's, I know he has told Abraham and Moses, I am that I am, right? He also told us in John ten thirty, I am the father of one. And at that time, they thought it was blasphemous. But let's go to Luke chapter 23. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 in the Amplified. But before Daniel starts reading, let's also understand something, right? The Sanhedrin tried, actually really tried, and they thought they were wise. And this is what happened, right? They turned Jesus over to Pilate because they claimed they lacked the power to impose death. And we're going to get into that in a second. So, again, let's go to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to read verses 2 through 7 in the Amplified. And this is what they did. They began to accuse Jesus, asserting, We found this man misleading and preventing our nation and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar, and claiming that he himself is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, a king. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, It is just as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people to rebel, teaching throughout Judea, started from Galilee, even as far as here in Jerusalem. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. He belonged to the jurisdiction of Herod, Antipas, the Tetra of Galilee, who was also in he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So interesting enough, right? Lying again, right? In scripture, Jesus said, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God. So another false accusation, right? When it came to handing Jesus accordingly, it was broken down by the jurisdiction. Again, this is political which is the official power to make legal decisions and judgments. So, let's go to Luke chapter 23. We're going to read verses 18. We're going to read verses 8 through 12, excuse me. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly pleased. He had wanted to see him for a long time because of what he had heard about him and was hoping to see some miraculous sign, even something spectacular done by him. And he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no reply. The chief priests and the scribes were standing there, continually accusing him heatedly. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking and ridiculing him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now that very day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Now that's pretty interesting, right? Two people that were handling Jesus all of a sudden became friends interesting so what i want you to understand is this jesus is a king right the chief priests and the religious scholars had accused him of a of a religious violation that's what they accused him of a religious violation now king and religious practice had been synonymous in culture for the longest however when jesus came the topic of his discussion the basis 
of message that he taught was the kingdom of God and his government. So go back slowly and read the four accounts. And you'll learn that God is talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The government of God. That's what God, that's what Jesus has been speaking about the whole entire time. Now, the problem is in the court of law, they couldn't convict Jesus because they needed two or three witnesses to confirm the same story. Now, let's go. We're going to cheat here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to read verses 59 through 68 in English Standard Version for more details. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found him. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And someone slapped him, saying, prophesize to us you christ who is it that struck you so to kill jesus they wanted someone else to handle it remember the passover was approaching and they didn't want their hands dirty with this so they lied about the power they didn't have when indeed they had all that they needed so there's a reason why Pilate said to them take jesus yourselves and judge him according to your law they already did that but they were in violation of their own law. Jesus was an innocent man according to their standards of the law as well. Why do you think Jesus kept quiet? That's why he said nothing. Their accusers weren't on another accord. They weren't on one accord. Again, their accusers weren't on one accord. No witnesses, stories was lined up to be accurate with one another. So let's be a little sneaky here. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to read verses 3 through 11 in the English Standard Version. Interesting text here and how it relates. You'll see. Daniel? The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go 
and from now on, sin no more. So interesting, interesting enough about this story, the woman that was using her hair with the perfume to wipe Jesus' feet, this was the woman that Jesus at the time helped. So of course, what she did, I remember in the text, it spoke about it was a barrier or preparation for his barrier, for his crucifixion. And that is when you heard Judas make the statement he made. But this woman right here was the woman that actually he stopped them from stoning. Now, this is interesting, right? Because here's the thing. Because no one was there to accuse her, she was free to go. That's why, for those who've you know, been in traffic court, when you show up for traffic court and an officer doesn't come or isn't there, the charges are dropped because the accuser is gone. When it came to Jesus, the trial witnesses were, in, were inconsistent, right? The trial witnesses were inconsistent. That's grounds for dismissal. See my point? Usually a case can and should be dismissed based upon insignificant evidence or no accuser or the arrest was unjustified or brutal, right? If the justice system is pride itself and innocent unless proven guilty in the court of law, then that's what would happen. And if we're talking about what's been transpiring, the way they handled Jesus up until this point was corrupt. They was putting hands on him before he even went to trial. So this is some of the stuff you have to understand, at least in the justice system now that's been corrected. But justice systems outside the United States, they do a lot of this stuff, right? We could also men mention Brittany Grinder in Russian, in Russian jail and the things that were done to her. I remember in one image, they, She's a tall woman, I believe, almost seven feet. They put her in a small cage. Some of this stuff is, is ridiculous in some of these justice systems. Now, the Jews were lying when they said we were not permitted to put anyone to death. Right? It was a lie. Right? The Sanhedrin had the power to impose death for certain crimes, religious crimes. We just read one. Right? When it, they basically they got together and said that she was committing adultery. And back in those times, they could stone you for that, right? Two or three witnesses approve and say that, yeah, this is what we saw. You can stone somebody, right? And this is why Jesus was so powerful, because he's able to turn it back on them. And that's why the ones that were older left first, because they had the most sin, right? And if you are, you're carrying the most sin, how dare you stone someone not realizing that you sinned at some point as well? So Jesus is very crafty and smart in regards to his response to people, especially them at the time, who were quick to, you know, try to convict somebody or stone somebody or kill somebody. Jesus was very smart and very tactful in his responses. So back to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had the power to impose death for certain crimes, religious crimes, specifically the procedure of stoning. But there's no, there's also evidence to suggest, right, that the Romans preferred to leave as much power as possible to control religious crimes in the hands of the Jewish authorities. So what they were asking is for Pilate to do was sneaky and slick. That's what they were doing. They were trying to be slick by putting on Pilate to do their dirty work 
when they know good and well that their trial against Jesus failed. You following what I'm saying, Daniel? Of course. Yeah, so let's go to our last text for today. We're going to go to Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 13 through 25 in the Amplified Version. The whole point is that I want you to understand the political aspect about why Jesus was an innocent man. Because when you go through the details of the gospel, and you unpack it bit by bit, right? And understand we've only been in Luke for the longest, and we've been in John. But in the other gospels, as we went, we went in Matthew, and we went in the gospel of John, you will see clearly that there was other purposes for Jesus dying. However, it was left to their justice system, and this is the reason why it was corrupt, and the reason why Jesus was innocent, right? So, I'm going to let Daniel, we're going to read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 13 through 25 in the Amplified Version. Daniel? Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man before me as one who corrupts and incites the people to rebellion. After examining him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us and indeed... He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him to teach him a lesson and release him. Now he will be obligated to release to them one prisoner at the feast. But they loudly shouted out altogether, saying, Away with this man and release Barnabas to us. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an instruction that happened in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them again, wanting to release Jesus, but they kept shouting out, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why, what wrong has he done? I have found no guilt, no crime, no offense in him demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him to teach him a lesson and release him. But they were insistent and unrelenting, demanding with loud voices that Jesus be crucified. After their voices began to prevail and accomplish their purpose, Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for instruction and murder. But he handed over Jesus to their will. So as you can see here, again, the power of the people, right? Pilate asked the people what it is that they wanted, and he granted it them. But of course, he understood that there was nothing to charge Jesus with. He understood that. He knew very clear and well. Now, obviously, we'll go into it when we get to the Gospel of John, but there was a conversation that Jesus had with him that's very profound and powerful. And audacity of the statement that Jesus makes to him lets him know clearly that he was a man of power and he was also a king. But again, we have a point in time where we discuss that on a proper basis. But here's my closing statement. This is something I want to say, right? The government was corrupt. Jesus was innocent. There are deeper details in this story that we didn't cover today, and this is why it's only part one. When we get into the other Gospels, we will expand upon it a little more. I hope that after today, you can see that there is a political aspect to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I don't know what rock potentially you could have been living under, but there is a political aspect to it. And I hope that after today, it'll open your eyes to see that there are government plays a huge role during its time plays a huge you know plays a huge role today we just got to be active thinkers when it comes to how we read scripture and how we see things and how things unfold to us okay i love this scripture in corinthians that kind of sums this up right 
that kind of morphs in this idea of the innocence of Jesus, but it being used to help purify us and cleanse us of sin and allow us to be children of God, right? So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read just verse 21 in the Amplified Version. Daniel? He made Christ who knew no sin to judicially be sin on our behalf, so that in him we will become the righteousness of God. That is, we will be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Right, so obviously Jesus was a man that lived the perfect life. And through that opportunity, he was able to bore our stripes, right? It's because of his stripes we are healed. It's because of his sacrifice, because him being sacrificed as the land that opened up the door and the opportunity for us, right? So again, Jesus was innocent. But guess what? God took what looked like a waste and became the sacrificial land for you and I and our sins. Right. He conquered death so that we couldn't fear death, but instead place our faith in him so that we may have everlasting life. I think that's brilliant, 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 just brilliant. That's the plan. And it was done to perfection. And on that note. We're going to end, obviously, with devotional time, unless there's anything you want to add Daniel. Any thoughts today's, you know, discussion? Mm -mm. Uh, it was pretty clear okay alright devotional time it is then in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 the path of the righteousness is like the morning sun shining ever brighter to the full light of day like today's message things are very clear for you when it comes to understanding about doing the right thing your way may seem unclear at times but if you stay close to God living in his presence you'll share in his spirit and his holiness you may not feel all the enlightened or righteous much of the time, but as long as you're seeking the Lord and doing your best to obey Him, He will hear your prayers, He will guide you and protect you. Then slowly but surely, just as the initial glow in the sky at dawn gives way to the full light of day, the sun will rise and Jesus' blessing will be made manifest in your life. It may take a while and you may have to walk cautiously at first, filling your way in semi-darkness. But God has promised to be with you. And so he will be. And to close out with our prayer for the week, I want you to say something very, very simple. Father God, please lend, please lead me in the way I should go. Make it clear that you're with me by giving light to my path. Reminds me of something that you said in John chapter 1 verse 9 the bible says that jesus god's son is the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world so allow us to walk in your truth so we don't walk in darkness all in agreement say amen Amen.